Okay, we will uh, go ahead and get started. Thankful for you that can uh, make it here safely. We can always uh, huddle to the middle and try and heat each other up if we need to. But uh, uh, we are certainly blessed by God to have a facility that can be warm and we can gather, uh, not have to worry about the elements outside of the travel here. But glad you guys all made it here safely. So uh, let me open us in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious. You provide abundantly more uh, than all we uh, need or certainly ask for, Lord. So I'm thankful for the building, the campus that you have blessed us with that can be warm, uh, that can um, uh, meet our physical needs, that allows us to worship you uh, even in uh, harsh weather and harsh circumstances, Lord. So uh, for those that can be here uh, this week, uh, we're thankful for their perseverance. Uh, and Please help them be blessed for those that can't. Uh, know that their church family is still with them in spirit as they uh, may get to join us through recording uh, or online, Father. Uh, can we do it all for your glory? In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. So uh, week number two, uh, Scott did a great job of uh, introducing this idea of spiritual disciplines last week. And one of the things that I like most about team teaching um, is that you're going to see or hear some of these things uh, from different approaches, which can all be helpful. There's not one right way for this. There are multiple ways for this. Some of the heavier, or in my opinion, more important topics like Bible intake and prayer, we're actually devoting multiple weeks to. And if the schedule works out, it's going to be that I take one and Scott take the other. So again, I think that'll be helpful for all of us. It'll strengthen all of us because you may hear a little bit different uh, take. You may hear different uh, one-liners that help you think some of this uh, stuff through. You may hear different practices that work better for you. And as we continue to be interactive, we want to hear from you also. So things that maybe have worked for you, things that haven't, uh, or maybe even things that have uh, challenged you or otherwise. So some of the stuff with Scott and I going back and forth, will be repetitive, but the Bible's repetitive. So I think that can be a valuable thing. We need to hear these things over and over again. We need reminders. Um, and just like the spiritual disciplines, the habits we're trying to build, that's what it takes. It takes repetition. So we're going to continue to explore these things um, together. So again, just to recap, or, or maybe just build on some thoughts from last week, we're, we're discussing the habits of grace or spiritual disciplines. And a, a way I like to frame a lot of things, um, if you've been in my previous classes, I, I've maybe illustrated it like this for you, okay? So this outside is the what. The what is spiritual disciplines. Most of us know we're supposed to practice the spiritual disciplines. Some of us may struggle with the how, and we're going to develop practical things throughout this class, develop ways that you may be able to practice these things better. But the heart of all of this study, and what really is the driving factor, I think, for really all humans, but Christians in particular, needs to be the why. Why are we practicing these spiritual disciplines? And Scott highlighted this last week. So as some of it as a matter of review, why do we practice any of the spiritual disciplines? What is our goal in this? To become more like Jesus, right? So that should be the, you know, the motivating factor for all of us to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus and particularly or perhaps specifically how are spiritual disciplines going to transform us to be more like Jesus? If you would, uh, uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm going to be all over the whiteboard. It's just what makes me feel comfortable, okay? So I could use the second one here, but 2 Corinthians 3.18 is going to talk about this transformative work of turning in to be like Jesus, Okay. Again, if you've been in my class, perhaps you've seen this illustration before, but uh, as a good reminder, I think well through illustrations, or these are things that uh, help me think these things through. All right, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
what is Paul talking about here as he's writing to the church in uh, uh, Corinth? He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about the process by which or through which that happens. So as God unveils his glory to us, he shines his glory on our face. As we take that in, our fallen nature, so if this is a this is a mirror, just I know my drawings are on point here, okay, but this is a mirror, okay? So our image, although we were created in the image of God, has been clouded by the sin in our life since the fall, okay? The process of sanctification is putting off over time through a trajectory of becoming more like Christ. And over time, we are being transformed so that our reflection is more like God, is more like Jesus. But how does that help us bring glory to God? Well, being more like we were created certainly brings God glory, but I think it goes beyond that as well. We are to be a we are to glorify God to others. Now, God certainly doesn't need more glory, right? But he does use us as instruments to show people who don't follow God, right? So who don't see God because their hearts are hardened. They have hearts of stone. So in God's providence and grace, he uses us to reflect his glory to others, right? We're not reflecting our own glory. We are reflecting the glory. That's what we're called to as we're transformed to be more like Jesus. We are reflecting the glory of God to others. And there are different definitions of glory. The one that helps me think about what we do when we glorify God is to make him known to other people, right? And more importantly, to make him known accurately or truthfully to other people. There's a lot of people that talk about God, but have wrong thoughts and feelings on God, right? They're not glorifying God. But as we actively, or excuse me, uh, uh, accurately reflect God to the watching world, to unbelievers, we are glorifying God. We are making him known. So we practice these spiritual disciplines for one reason, to be more like Jesus, which would ultimately be to glorify God more. Obviously, Jesus was the perfect representation of God to the world. And as we are transformed to be more like Jesus, we are in turn doing that. We are glorifying him. We are obeying him more. We are pleasing God more. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim, our goal, our why to please him, to, to please God. And then we enjoy God more through that as well as we become more like Jesus. So glorify God as we're more like Jesus. And the second main reason is so that we can serve others. There is certainly the vertical between us and God, but there's also the horizontal between us and other people. And we have the opportunity as we are more like Jesus, we have opportunities to serve them, whether they are members of the household of faith or they are unbelievers. Jesus served both and he did it perfectly. So we practice these things in order to more conform us to be like Jesus so that we can bring God more glory and so that we can serve others. I never want us to lose that why behind the things that we're doing, right? The why is the driving force. As Scott talked last week, you can white knuckle your way through the what and the how to some degree, but if it's not driven by that core, that heart of the why, you will fail. In your weakness, you will fail because we know in our as we white knuckle, we fail, let alone if we have the wrong why, we'll certainly fail even more. And uh, again, staying uh, with the whiteboard here, it goes well beyond just the practice of these disciplines. God doesn't just want us to do these things. He, wa- he is ultimately after our heart. Well, that may not show up as well there. So the heart biblically is all of our thinking, feeling, and doing. Our immaterial, our soul, is everything we think, feel, and do. Our thinking being our mind. Our feeling being our emotions. And our doing being our will. Just add that there. 
God is after all those things. He doesn't want us to spend just so much time on the thinking or, or perhaps the mind and the knowledge, but not spend any time doing anything. Full heart transformation does involve an entire change in our thinking, our feeling, and our doing. And this was uh, asked uh, well last week of, what if I don't feel like it? What if I don't feel like practicing these things? Does anybody here felt that? Felt like I don't really feel like reading my Bible today. I don't feel like uh, uh, praying today. I don't feel like certainly serving uh, other people today. So what does that look like? How do we, what does it look like when we don't feel like this? I should have grabbed it because I do think we have a copy out there. Uh, there is a, a book by uh, Greg Gifford uh, that it's called Heart and Habits. And it's kind of looped with like an infinity sign. Heart and Habits, heart, uh, Habits and Heart. Um, one of the things that uh, he helpfully reminds us is what you do oftentimes will shape what you want or what you feel. Okay. Likewise, what you think, maybe I'll add a different color so we can see this a little better. So, what you do will oftentimes influence how you feel. But oftentimes, the way you think will influence what you feel. And what you think will certainly influence what you do. But it is not one or the other. This is, a, this is not an either or. This is a both and. There will be times we need to change our thinking because that's going to lead to right feeling. That's going to lead to right doing. However, there are times when our feelings aren't there and it takes an exercise of the doing, exercise of the will in order to bring about the right feelings. And this can be hard, and, and sometimes we have to parse out exactly what's going on in our hearts. But you don't have to turn there, but I want you to notice the language David uses in Psalm 101. Uh, there's only eight verses in Psalm 101. I just want to highlight of, of what he says here. He says, I will sing of the steadfast love and justice to you. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worth, worthless. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land. Over and over and over again, in these eight verses, he goes, I will, I will, I will. He doesn't talk anything about his feeling. He doesn't necessarily even talk about his thinking, although his thinking has to drive what he is doing. He is exercising his will in the, in, even in the instances when he doesn't necessarily feel like that. Sometimes when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we can focus too much on our will, too much on the doing. Again, that white knuckle type of experience. There are times you're going to have to white knuckle to get up a little bit extra early to get your Bible study or prayer in, okay? But I think you'll find that over time doing that, the feeling, the thinking may change or vice versa. Your thinking may lead to right feeling, which is going to lead to right doing. Some of us may be stronger in one area than the other. We need to take inventory of that and, and t uh, think through that. Steve. And what you're just describing really is flying right in the face of what our society has degenerated into, where feelings are more important. For example, if you feel that two plus two is five, well, mm -hmm. who am I to really question that? Because you have a sincere feeling that two plus two is five, and so mm -hmm. our, you know, we're allowing our feelings to drive everything else. Mm -hmm. Where, mm -hmm. um, you know, what you're suggesting is is that are the truth of the word is what needs to drive our thinking. And there are times, you know, uh, ask the questioner, uh, you know, why, why do we, uh, like Friday morning, I didn't really feel like going to work, you know, because I had to spend two and a half hours digging out before I could even get out. But I went to work because I know that's what needs to be done. And so I do it. And you know, I didn't even, as I was driving in, I was like, oh, why am I even doing this? You know, and some people at work asked me why I even did it, you know. But then when I sat down and actually started working on the things I was supposed to do, I was like, yeah, I'm glad I'm here. You know, yep. and so our feelings, we should never use our feelings as a compass 
for That's our right. behavior. Your thinking and doing led to right feelings. We are certainly a feeling-dominated society often, but I do want us to recognize the heart is a whole. None of them can be individually completely parsed out, and every single one of them is influenced by the fall. Our thinking is off because of our sin. Our feeling is off because of our sin, and our doing is off because of our sin. The world tends to focus a lot on feeling, but it does focus on doing as well. You hear a lot about behavior modification. I just need to change the way that I... Okay, you do need to change your behavior, but it needs to be driven by right thinking and right feeling, right? So all of them are affected by the fall, but here's the glorious news of the gospel. All of them are being regenerated through the work of Christ in your life. As you behold the glory of God and then reflect that to others, God is transforming you. So Greg Gifford says, what you do shapes what you want or or what you feel. Um, You can turn there if you'd like, but Hebrews 5.14 has some uh, great language in here to to help us think that through. Hebrews 5.14 says, uh, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Powers of discernment. I think you could talk about that's the that's the thinking, maybe perhaps to some degree, the feeling. But how does that how is that brought about? It is brought about by training. And the word training here uh, is awesome because particularly for this class, it uh, it talks about habit or uh, practice. Or excuse me, practice is later, but uh, training is uh, has to do with habit or or even discipline uh, to a degree. But then it also has followed right that by constant practice to distinguish good from e- evil. That word practice there, uh, again, uh, no Greek scholar here, but uh, gymnazo. Gymnazo for practice there. Sound familiar? Gymnasium or gymnastics. This talks about a physical working out, right? You are disciplining your body through physical matters in order to bring these things about. Not exactly a a church father, but Aristotle says, you are what you repeatedly do. You are what you repeatedly do. These habits, these disciplines oftentimes can transform us and will transform our thinking, feeling, and doing as we practice them. Chicken or egg discussion, which comes first? Well, in God's eyes, our redemption, our perfection has been established through justification, but in our sanctification, this stuff is working out while he is working in us. Again, Greg Gifford in uh, Heart and Habits puts it well. He says, uh, desire formation or feeling formation is the type of person you want to become. Character formation is who you actually become, right? So we could have, oh, I want to change these feelings. But if we're not doing the hard work to change our doing and our thinking, we may not become the person. We may not have the full heart character of what we need to become. But as we practice these things, we will practically uh, be, be made like that. And uh, finally, I think we do need to ask ourselves, if our desires, if our feelings aren't lining up with what we want or particularly what the Bible says they should be or or believe that they should be, then I do think we need to look at our heart. We need to look at our, our character, okay? There will be times when we're lacking in feeling, and there may be sinful reasons why we're not having the right feelings. We may have sinful thinking, sinful doing, all right? God offers us a free gift. He offers us grace and he instructs us to repent for wrong thinking, for wrong feeling, for wrong doing. I feel like in the Christian world that we can't, it's hard to even admit that our feelings are off. We can admit and run to God for his grace, his mercy and forgiveness when our feelings are off. So if there's those days where you're just honest with yourself and says, I don't feel like reading my Bible today. You can repent of that and it's okay. You're not a failure. Or you could put it, yeah, you are a failure, but Jesus isn't. And Jesus saved you from those sinful feelings and can transform you and does transform you to be more like Jesus. So we practice these spiritual disciplines or habits in order to bring our heart, our entire heart, our thinking, our feeling, and our doing in line with God's heart, God's thinking, God's feeling, and God's doing. And if we take honest inventory, we recognize we're far from that. But that is the work of sanctification. That is the work that Jesus is doing.
I'm on a Charles Spurgeon kick right now. I started January 1st, a, um, his morning and evening devotional. Short little devotionals, one in the morning, one in the evening. So I've got lots of <laughs> Spurgeon quotes uh, for you today. But one of them says, uh, Be one of those whose manners are Christian, whose speech is like Jesus, whose conduct and conversation are so reminiscent of heaven that all that you see... Uh, you may know that you are the Savior's, recognizing in you his features of love and his countenance of holiness. So as we behold God's glory and look into the mirror, we want to be the people that see the reflection of Jesus in the mirror. And to the degree that it's not, we repent, we believe, and we uh, continue to be transformed more and more in the likeness of Jesus. Okay. So that was a really long uh, opening and recap, all right? So uh, let's move into our, our topic for today of uh, Bible intake. I, I may have initially labeled it in the syllabus Bible reading one and two, uh, but I do think it goes beyond that because it's more than just our reading. It's all of our intake, whether we're getting it from our reading uh, or from our hearing. Now, Bible reading is probably one of the spiritual disciplines that all Christians know that they should do, but perhaps aren't as good uh, as it as they're supposed to be. But let's look at some statistics to see perhaps just how bad it is. Now again, I know you Bible-believing, uh, spiritually disciplined folks here would not fall into these statistics, but these are statistics from 2022, and they may perhaps for you be a little bit sobering uh, as they were for me. So 39% of adult Americans are labeled as Bible users. This, this article, this research, defined Bible user based on the frequency of which they use their Bible. What do you think a Bible user is defined at in this article? How many? Okay. It's not too far off of that. Three to four times per year. Three to four times per year is defined as a Bible user. Three to four times outside of a worship, got religious service, okay? On their own, personal, open the Bible, three to four times a year is defined as a Bible user. 39% of adult Americans are uh, labeled as Bible users, okay? 19% are considered engaged in Scripture. Now, what is engaged in Scripture? Well, how they define it is a consistent interaction with the Bible that shapes people's choices, transforms their relationships with God, self, and others. Only 19% are consistently, whatever that means, interacting with the Bible that leads them to change their interactions with self and others. What about reading frequency? How, what percentage of people do you believe read their Bible every day of adult Americans? I think actually this one is even adult Christ, uh, professing Christian Americans. So 10%, 10% daily reading, that's down from 19% about 20 years ago. So it was 19%, 1990-ish, and you know, so 30 years ago, I guess now, but uh, 10%. Once a week, reading the Bible. Again, this doesn't say how long, how much, what, just reading the Bible, 5%. Once a month, 7%. Never read their Bible an entire year. 40% of professing evangelical Christians uh, in America in 2022 say they never read their Bible throughout the year. What about this? The percentage of uh, adult Americans that have read the entire Bible cover to cover. 5 to 7% have read the entire Bible cover to cover. I don't give you these statistics in order to give you feelings of guilt. Uh, I will say uh, one of my taglines that I've heard is guilt is not a feeling. Guilt is a fact. If you fall into one of these and you believe that the Bible calls you to something else, then you are guilty. R repent and believe. That's okay. That's what God calls us to, okay? So there's no feelings of guilt here. There perhaps may be facts of guilt, and you and God can wrestle that one out. But what are some reasons people may give for not reading their Bible? They surveyed people, why don't you read your Bible? I've got the four most common ones, but what do we think? What are people reasons, uh, reasons people give for not reading their Bible? Don't have time. Don't have time. That was actually number two. Hard yep. to understand. Hard to understand, that was number four. Now, I only had the top four, so yep, absolutely. So, not enough time, don't understand. Not interesting. Yeah, not, not excited about it, not interested in it. Yep. Not relevant. Not relevant, that was lower, but yep, absolutely. 
the number one reason people give for not reading their Bible, they don't know where to start. Okay. So I'm going to give a little bit of a counter if you would come across any of those uh, people, not yourselves, of course. So you don't know where to start. Start at the beginning, right? So uh, obviously, if you're witnessing to somebody, uh, there's different places you can actually have them start. If you're trying to disciple someone, John is one of my favorites, right? Because it really presents Jesus, but there's not a wrong place. If you really just want to boil it down, why don't you just go ahead and start at the beginning? Now, we understand Genesis, Exodus, you lose people in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So maybe Genesis isn't actually the best place to start, but perhaps condescendingly, you can say, start at the beginning and go from there, okay? What about not enough time? Ooh, this one boils me. I see this one a lot in counseling for a lot of different things. If I don't have enough time, uh, usually the first thing I ask is, let me see your phone. Let me see where your screen time is. And I can tell you whether you have enough time or not, okay? And that's the most common one today. There can certainly be other things that people can be using their time for, but the phone's a pretty big one. If your screen time is three, four, five, six hours a day, I think you've got enough time you could clear out. At average reading speeds, it takes 71 hours to read the entire Bible. So even if you're just listening to a recording on a standard 1X, about 71 hours for you to get through the entire Bible. 71 hours is the average amount of time an adult American spends watching TV per month. So if they replaced TV, and I think you could probably plug in screen time now, right? So with whatever medium it's coming from, replace all of TV with Bible reading, you could read the entire Bible in one month. Pretty crazy, all right? But that's a pretty lofty thing. We're not going to go lofty today. We're going to try and uh, keep it easier. If you spent just 15 minutes a day reading your Bible you'd get through the Bible an entire year. Again, average reading speeds, about 15 minutes a day. Gets you through the Bible in a year. If you spent five minutes a day, you'd get done with it in three years. Okay. Five minutes a day, you would fall into the five to 7% of Americans after three years that have read through their entire Bible. So if you start at the age of 18, average life expectancy is 78 uh, approximately in the U.S. If you start at 18, over those 60 years, you would have read through the Bible 20 times with just five minutes a day. I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for I don't have time. If you don't have time, we need to look at your life. Five minutes a day through your lifetime gets you cover to cover 20 times. What about you don't feel excited about it? We talked about that some about uh, feeling and doing, and, and sometimes you just need to uh, practice these things. But um, in um, the Donald Whitney book, he talks about this, actually a book that was written, anyway, talks about this guy, Kansas City. Uh, he was in an explosion and he lost his eyes and his hands soon after becoming a Christian. He learned br to read Braille through his tongue. So he took the pages of Braille and through his tongue learned to read the Bible. At the time the book was written that was talking about this guy, he'd read through the Bible four times with his tongue. So if you don't get excited about the Bible, please check your heart. Ask yourself why you're not. Because here's a man who's lost his eyes and his hands and is so desperate for the Word of God that he is using his tongue to read the Bible. And finally, you don't understand it or the background. Um... You know, I don't know if this excuse has ever held a lot of water because there was always people you could go to, although they were more limited. But now when you have every single translation essentially accessible to you to listen to, you have commentaries, you have YouTube videos, you have good online resources, um, library resources of pastors and teachers who have made this as approachable as any time in history to understand the Bible. And uh, I want to give you guys just uh, one resource uh, as we get to know our Bible a, a little bit more is knowing outlines of each book of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible. So here is uh, an outline of Matthew. talks about a key word of, of king. It talks about the purpose. It talks about the author and date. And then it has an outline and some key passages. Single page outline or overviews of books of the Bible. Okay. I actually, there, so there's lots of these out there. Different people have done this. Um, this one was given to me. I have it for 
all 66 books of the Bible. I thought about making this your handout, but I also did not think the church would be happy with me printing 66 pages or 33 if I did front and back. So I do want to offer it to you, however. If you would like it, please let me know. I'd be happy. It's PDF. I'd be happy to email it to you. If the digital medium really just does not work for you and you want a paper copy and you'll actually use it, please let me know. I'd be happy to get it for you, but I didn't want to print 30 copies of 33 pages, so I didn't think that would be very responsible. However, if you really want it and you don't have access to it or prefer not a digital media, happy to print it out for you. If you want it in digital format, happy to do it. I can't say this one's any better than other. There's lots of ones out there, but it's nice because it's all in one place, so it can be helpful. Um, so, uh, again, just uh, continuing on here. So, um, why do so many Christians neglect the study of God's Word? R.C. Sproul, uh, if you uh, know of his ministry, he's often pretty blunt. And I love what he says here. Here, then, is the real problem of our negligence. Recognize, he says, is our negligence, not other people's negligence, right? He takes responsibility, and I think we all need to as well, because there's at times when we have neglected as well. He says, we fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. R.C. Sproul, not me. Okay. So again, we're going to go back to that why question. Why is reading your Bible and hearing the Bible read important? And for that, I just kind of want to highlight that, again, Bible intake is more than just reading. It can be hearing. Some people do learn better, have trained themselves better through hearing. Uh, The uh, Sunday proclamation, we'll, we'll get to maybe uh, momentarily here. But what, what are some reasons of why reading the Bible is important? Why do we believe? What's our why driving behind us reading the Bible? To know God. To know God, yeah. There is, uh, you know, Peter talks about that, right? So Peter talks about uh, seeing and experiencing God through the transfiguration, and he says... There, we actually have a more perfect word, right? We have scriptures that actually, we can't just rely on our experiences to, to know God. We actually need to see the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God. So yes, to know God. Yeah, for him to, uh, yeah, tell us. I mean, he can speak to us lots of things. He's telling us who he is. He's telling us who we are. He's telling us how to make sense of all the things going around us. Absolutely. What else? If we read it directly ourselves, we're removing filters that other people might put on it. Pastors, radio teachers, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anybody. Because we're all imperfect and our understanding isn't necessarily perfect. But when we read it, the page itself, then God can speak directly to us, and then our own filter is the only one we have to worry about. Yeah. It was not too many hundreds of years ago. It was outlawed for you to read the Bible as a common folk, right? So that is not the way it is to be for God's people. We are to interact with it ourselves. What else? God's Word is powerful and transforms us. Yeah, transformation, right? So absolutely, transformation or or what we talked about earlier, sanctification. Gospel or, or, or Bible intake, I believe, is the primary means of sanctification God gives us. Transforming us to be more like Jesus, God uses lots of things. But I believe Bible intake is the primary thing. John 17, 17, sanctify them or change them to be like Jesus in the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, that perfect representation of God is manifest to us through His Word. That is the primary means of transformation of of sanctification. What else? Other whys for reading the Bible? It gives us the right perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, with so many things coming at us, bombarding us. Um, I find in the morning when I read this word, it gives me peace to <laughs> go out into that world and um, it's just the right perspective on when the day might not go as I would have liked or whatever. Um, I can go back to his word. 
Yeah, it gives us that vertical perspective and it gives us that horizontal perspective. Understand, and then it also gives us that internal as well. It helps us understand three life's biggest questions. Who is God? Who am I? And who the heck are all these other people, right? So everything else going on. Three biggest questions. Who am I? Or who is God? Who am I? And who are all these other people, right? It gives us perspective, gives us right information on all of those things. I want to give you a few other things. Hearing or reading the word, it's actually what brings about our faith. Romans 10, uh, 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not... Uh, yeah, uh, to 17, yeah. So, uh, but they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed uh, what he has heard from us? 17, uh, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, right? So the word actually brings about our faith, either from hearing it from others or reading it for ourselves. There's stories of both. People personally interacting with the Bible, people hearing it proclaimed. But that is the mean God uses to, to bring about our faith, what about uh, the Bible gives us life? Remember the temptation of Jesus. We're going to look at a couple ones of these here. Matthew 4, 4. Man uh, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, right? So the, the Bible, reading the Bible gives us life. It also helps us fight temptation. In, in that same story in Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus. How did he fight off temptation from the Satan every single time? Three times tempted, three times what did he do? He quoted scripture. He used God's word to fight temptation. We should do the same. 2 Timothy 3.16, we use it for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And uh, we'd already said that means of sanctification. And finally, God's word brings blessing. God's word brings blessing. Uh, Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, reading and hearing. And who, uh, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It brings great blessing. It brings faith. It gives life. It helps us fight temptation. It provides teaching, reproof, correction. It's the primary means of sanctification. And it brings great blessing. I believe I had this uh, longer quote from... Uh, yeah, Donald Whitney in there. Uh, again, I know it's... This is just such a good quote. I just wanted to include it here for you. But he says, No spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's Word. Nothing can substitute for it. There is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. The reasons for this are obvious. In the Bible, God tells us about Himself, especially about Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God. The Bible unfolds the law of God to us and shows us how we've all broken it. There, uh, we learn how Christ died as a sinless, willing substitute for breakers of God's law, and how we must repent and believe in Him to be right with God. In the Bible, we learn the ways of the will uh, and will of the Lord. We find in Scripture how God wants us to live, and what brings the most joy and satisfaction in life. None of this eternally essential information, I think the most important part here, can be found anywhere else except the Bible. Romans 1 uh, tells us there's actually very little we can know about God just by looking out outside of his word, right? We can essentially understand that he is eternal and that he is all-powerful, right? If we look around and see the universe, that's what's made clear to man is that God exists and always has existed. He's eternal and then he's all-powerful because he created all of this and that has to take an all-powerful being. All of these other details are only perfectly represented in scripture. We can't learn anything else about God uh, of substance, of use outside of that. So if our goal is to be like Jesus, to glorify, obey, enjoy God, and serve others, then we have to be hearers and doers of the Word. If our growth in godliness was measured by the quality and perhaps quantity of our Bible intake, what would the result be? Probing question to think is, if I'm looking just alone at the most important spiritual discipline of my Bible intake, hearing or, or reading, the quality of it and the quantity of it, what would the result be? 
If my godliness is directly related to how much Bible I take in, if my being like Jesus is directly related to how much Bible I'm taking in, how would we grade ourselves? Where would we be? All right. Uh, you can write in your notes, uh, Luke 6, 46 to 49. I'm not going to have time to go through that illustration, but I wanted to highlight the uh, knowing and doing goes well beyond, uh, or, or change to be like Jesus goes well beyond just the knowing, right? It does involve a doing. And perhaps uh, another week I'll draw out that illustration that I have for you to show that um, Jesus' word is the foundation but we plant ourselves on the foundation through the doing, right? We can't just say, oh, I know God's word. It's actually planted through the doing. So uh, maybe I'll do that illustration another uh, week for you. I don't, I'm, I'm going to bypass that today. But I have on there, how often do we need to read our Bible? We are a people, a society of a lot of felt needs. I will argue that we actually need very little, but we actually do need to read our Bible. D.L. Moody says, A man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months, or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day <clears throat> as we need it. <clears throat> I want us to think of our need for the Bible as our need for eating and our need for breathing. Okay, so taking perhaps a less extreme example of eating, I want you to see how long you can go without eating. We're going to talk about fasting later and that being an appropriate spiritual discipline. But my guess is most of us go longer in between God's word, in between times in God's word than we do in between eating. So next time you get those hunger pains, right? That is a physical manifestation of what our heart should be, we'll explore this more when we get to fasting, of our longing for God's word. We should have that hunger pain for God's word, just like we have physical hunger pains for, for food, for nutrition. Hunger pains for food or nutrition are not wrong in themselves. That's fine, right? But we should have that same hunger pain for God's word. And if we don't, we need to look in our heart. What is our thinking? What is our feeling? What is our doing? Spurgeon says, Do not rest content without an increasing acquaintance with Jesus. He also says, We may be certain that whatever God has made prominent in his word, he intended to be conspicuous in our lives. If we don't know what God's word says, if we don't know the prominent themes and flow of scripture, we are not going to know what our lives should look like. So that's how important that it is. So I, I want to uh, end our time today about some giving you some practical Bible intake suggestions, right? So I think Scott next week will highlight some of these things again. Uh, he may get into um, some specific things uh, of practices. I'm going to hit some of those up today. Maybe we'll dig into to, to more of these next week. Um, again, this kind of was a more why uh, lesson initially, but I did want to leave you with some practical intake uh, suggestions. And... Okay, so I did leave them all there for you so you didn't have to, to write them all down. But I want you to create a rhythm or structure in your life that makes Bible intake normal. Or we could say create the habit that makes this normal. So, so what does that look like here? If you go through, you know, I, daily Bible reading should be normal to us, right? Should be normal to the Christian. We should have daily, daily Bible intake. I want your life to be structured and a rhythm to it that if that doesn't happen, something feels off. I'm going to submit that most of us eat every day and most of us probably shower every day. If you don't do one of those things, my guess is your day is going to feel weird. Something's wrong. Something's off. Some may shower in the morning. Some may shower in the evening. Some may shower both. If I don't start my day with a shower, things feel off for the rest of the day. Just kind of, I'm just, that's my rhythm. That's what things look like. Bible intake should be the same. That if it didn't happen, life happens, right? We understand there are things that happen that sometimes I didn't get it today. It's okay, all right? But you need to recognize that the normal rhythm brings about a feeling of why didn't I get my Bible in today, right? So 
we should feel that that is normal for us. Next, you should prepare your heart before public hearing and private reading of God's Word. This is heavy stuff that we're taking in, and I don't mean heavy, uh, although certainly is the case in challenging and hard to understand, but this is the Word of the Almighty Creator God. All right, If we actually took that as serious as it is, is these are the words of the Creator of the universe, right? Uh, you've got social media, you've got Twitter, people are stuck to their phones looking at the words that all these types of people say, right? Whatever popular figure you want to say, people are inundated with those words. And for the most part, those people are morons, right? And yet the creator of the universe has revealed himself to us through his word, and we don't have that same excitement of seeing when Taylor Swift or Elon Musk or Donald Trump or something like that posts, uh, you know, some hot take or something like that. Okay. We should have that same excitement and feeling to be in God's word as we do to hear what our favorite political pundit or whoever says. So it takes a prepared heart to do that. Before you read the Bible, you should ask the Lord to uh, uh, reveal any sin in you. You should ask the, the Holy Spirit to uh, open your eyes, soften your heart and heart in order to uh, understand these things. Similar to a uh, approaching a Sunday morning, you should prepare your heart whether that's you do that on Saturday night, on a Sunday morning, when you sit down in the chair right before the message is to start, prepare your heart to take in God's Word. Paul Tripp released a 52-week uh, devotional uh, once a week on, it's called the Sunday Matters, where uh, he, it's designed to read it on Saturday night to prepare your heart for Sunday morning. So my family decided to start that this year on Saturday night or whenever we can kind of fit in when the family's together during the week to prepare our hearts for Sunday morning worship. In a similar vein, we should not neglect or downplay the power of a Sunday morning. A Sunday morning service um, has great power. Uh, part of it is because of the fellowship of the saints we're called to do. We encourage each other. Lots of great things. We have other classes, uh, Life in the Father's House, that we'll be teaching uh, again. This is the, the second time around for that class. Um, next quarter um, uh, addresses some of those things. But we often downplay because of habit, which we talk about habits being a good thing, but because of habits and normalization, the power of what happens on a Sunday morning through the public proclamation of God's word. We should not downplay that, and we should do what we can to not neglect it. Now again, life happens, things happen. There's at least one Sunday a month typically that because of work or my military duties, I'm not here. I grieve over that. You know, it's very challenging. But it should not be our habit to regularly neglect or miss the Sunday morning gathering. We should do what it takes within reason to be here in person on a Sunday morning. Finally, or not finally, uh, we should have a plan to read the Bible. Whether that looks like five minutes a day, going to get through it cover to cover in three years, 15 minutes a day in one year. Uh, there is no shortage of Bible reading plans, apps, all those kind of things that will help track it. There's a great one through the Bible app, done by the Bible Project that uh, you get to mark off each day, but also has a lot of video devotionals or uh, overviews of the Scripture. That can be very helpful. Ailey and I have done that several years in a row to get through the entire Bible uh, in a year. That can be helpful. No shortage of plans out there, but having a plan plan help keeps you on track. If you plan or if you fail the plan, you plan to fail, right? Uh, and there can be uh, different aspects of what a plan looks like. You could be going for breath, covering the entire Bible, perhaps in a year. That, that's a lofty task for a lot of people. So, but you're just going to, you're going to get through it, right? You may have a plan for depth of, I'm just going to spend time in this one book of the Bible or just the New Testament, or even in just this, uh, this chapter this week, right? You could spend an entire week on a single verse of the Bible and not be a wasted time. Don't feel like the standard is getting through the entire Bible in a year. For some, that's helpful, but that's not the standard, right? Being in God's word is the standard. 
but I still want all of you to get through the Bible at least once. And please fall within the 5% of Christians that have actually done that. Okay, so uh, there can be times of both. I've done the Bible uh, fully through for many years in a row now. This year, I'm just focusing on the New Testament. So I want to dig in a little bit deeper, spend extra time in the New Testament. So my Bible plan I have this year has me getting through the New Testament four times. So every 90 days, I'll get through the New Testament. That's what I'm going to do this year. So there's not a right or wrong. It's just we all have uh, options. Uh, we're going to talk about meditation more in, for an entire week, but find at least one thing during your Bible intake to meditate on, whether it's from a Sunday morning, whether it's from your individual reading. Don't just read it and forget it. Even if you're finding just one word, one thought, pull it out of there, meditate on that for the rest of the day. That's the kind of spiritual food, just like we're digesting regular food, that nourishes us as we go. <clears throat> I had the... Uh, opportunity to to see someone uh, come to faith in God, to uh, professor at repentance and faith uh, a couple months ago, right? So I just met with him again this week and hearing him say, you know, I'm reading the Bible and I, I learned something brand new. I, I'd read that before and I was like, you've been a Christian for two months. Yeah, everything's new to you, right? But I'm like, I just tell him that I'm praising that because that, that's awesome, you know? But I was like, for 30 years I've been reading the Bible and there's still things that I regularly pick out and need to focus and, and hone in on. So so find at least one thing to meditate on. And uh, finally, I want you to, to not, not just study, not just do, uh, but also let this lead uh, to uh, teaching as well. So now that doesn't have to be teaching that you're standing up here, although we're always looking for teachers. So, you know, you can let me know. Um, uh, there it is. So uh, look at the words of uh, Ezra here. Short little book. Eventually, gonna find it. Maybe if I knew this Bible well enough, I wouldn't be up here so long doing this. All right, uh, Ezra 7.10 uh, says, uh, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. We need to be people that take in the Bible to study, to do it, and to teach it as well. All right, I will close with this... Uh, Actually, no, it's already 10.30. You've got the quote there. I'll let you read that, but a powerful little quote there to help us think those things through. Uh, for those of you who desire to take this class for credit, we will occasionally have small homework assignments, all right? We'll try not to put too much of a burden on you, but uh, if you're still pursuing to get the equipping class gold badge or platinum star, whatever we're going to call it, I, I don't know, at the end of all of this, um, I put our emails... <clears throat> on there uh, for you. If you would like to take it for credit, the email for this week is to give one thing that you plan to do to increase either your frequency or your quality of your Bible intake this year, right? Or specifically during this class. If you want to copy Scott and I in that um, and share, this is not, again, a, a guilt trip or anything like that. But if you want to share that with us and invite us into any type of accountability you want with that, even if it's just in passing, then we'd love to do that. Okay, so uh, a little behind, but let me pray and uh, we'll get out of here. So uh, again, Lord, Father, we are so thankful that you have uh, given us yourself uh, through Jesus. You've given us your word, and even as we um, gather today, you've given us your people here, Lord. Uh, these are gifts that we should not neglect and we should not take for granted, Lord. How powerful is your word to change and transform us and to... Be light to our feet and a lamp uh, to our path, Lord. So uh, bless us as we go. Uh, prepare our hearts to hear the public proclamation of your word and service. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey ben, one thing I think about when preaching these verses, you know, Paul said to Timothy, from your youth you've been